Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. I am recording from Lake Genaliska, founded in 1943, up in North Carolina. That's right. I'm on location today, not just to do the podcast, but I'm up here for a little bit of a a prayer retreat, heading into a men's one-day conference, and uh, I'm just grateful to be able to get away, so thankful to be able to hear the voice of the Lord, to be able to read and pray and just listen to the Lord outside of the normal uh, hustle and bustle of ministry life and life back home uh, in Georgia. We've got a lot going on, man. 2021 has been an amazing year. So grateful to be doing this alongside of my precious wife and my two kids and my spiritual family at the church at Winder and then um, others that uh, may not go to the same church, but we're getting to share the kingdom uh, stories with them and they're sharing life with us and just been an amazing year but it has been a very busy uh, first half of the year literally for me um, non-stop since probably the end of January and I just sensed the Holy Spirit calling me away um, a few weeks ago and the way it worked out with my schedule is um, this particular week was the best way for um, me to just get alone with the Lord. You know, even Jesus did that. It's amazing that of all the need and all of the power that he had as the Son of God, but as the Son of Man, Jesus frequently withdrew to isolated places to literally leave the ministry for a very short time and just spend time with the Father. And so that's what I've been doing. And uh, Lake Genaliska is um, a beautiful little retreat up here, about three hours from my home and um, in North Carolina and the kind of the greater Asheville area. Beautiful little scenery out here. I've got a lake outside of my window and um, wanted to do a couple of podcasts while I was up here. And so um, I really, as I was praying and thinking uh, just on life and how important this upcoming season is for me in particular. And Amy and I are intentionally spending time as frequently as we can with young adults. We are um, sensing of the Lord this new season where we are to be intentionally, not some side issue or some hors d'oeuvre, but uh, part of the main course that we're being called to right now in this season together is to pour into 20-somethings and young 30-somethings, um, singles and couples. And so um, I've, I've been thinking about that being out of my comfort zone um, because uh, it requires a lot of intentionality, a lot of managing of the calendar, uh, a lot of listening capacity. You need to be uh, swift to hear and slow to speak and uh, just to do life, to form relationship, you know. Uh, Gen Zers and young millennials really, really have taken a bad rap from my generation, Gen X, and those that went before me. And uh, I'm finding more and more that the hearts of these young adults are actually very authentic and very hungry, and they just want to know what's true, and they want to go after it. They have the lowest appetite for religious nonsense of any generation that I've had the privilege of interacting with in my 27-plus years of being a Christian. Um, these, these young adults are, are really, really focused on knowing what's right to the extent that if they pick up on um, any disingenuous ways 
in churches and particularly among leaders, then they're, they're really struggling to stay in certain places. Um, while I would never advocate walking away from the church, Big C Church, um, I do have to take my time and listen and figure out why um, are young adults so disenfranchised with the little C churches that they are connected to? And what can I do as a guy that's got a few more years on me than they do to help them navigate these things? Because Jesus, when he was on planet Earth um, physically, he saw everything that was wrong with everybody every day. <laughs> every, every single relationship Jesus had, he knew what was wrong with the people his own disciples, uh, the religious system of his day, uh, people that he would interact with as he you know, walked in, in uh, the land of Israel. Um, but he never gave up on people. And he actually still practiced within the corrupt system of uh, Pharisaical Judaism of his day. He still went to synagogue. He still read the scrolls. He still observed a lot of the uh, God-given uh, laws and expressions of Judaism, and so did his disciples after the resurrection and the ascension. And so we're actually not allowed to walk away, but we're also not supposed to just sit muted and just say, well, I'm sure things will be okay. We're, we're actually supposed to persevere and press in for truth. And part of Mavericks and Misfits is that uh, we are a group of people that are willing to ask questions, are willing to give pushback when the answers don't have their grounding in the heart of God and the Word of God. And, uh, you know, we challenge the status quo. And so I, I'm realizing that if I'm going to be who I'm supposed to be and do what I'm supposed to do in the kingdom, that I'm going to need to carry a, a new level of anointing. And I know that's an overused word, oftentimes by charismatics. And I'm a charismatic, so I can say that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is the anointing is, is massively important. And the anointing has a lot of depth and layers and nuances to it. But ultimately, I would define the anointing as the, um, the intentional cooperation with the Spirit of God for the work of God. Um, that's a layman's definition. It's, it's the touch of God on a person's life. And I'm, I'm talking about a particular anointing for um, my calling and my ministry. And so I've gotten up here uh, at Lake Genaluska, and um, I'm just listening to the Lord. And as I was doing so, he, he reminded me of a verse that I've actually never preached. I've loved this verse uh, since the year I got saved was the first time I heard it. heard a Southern Baptist pastor, Johnny Hunt, First Baptist Woodstock, Georgia, preach a message on the fly and the ointment. And uh, it always stuck with me, but I've never taught it or preached it myself. And today, um, as I was thinking about anointing and praying through my own life, um, and what I need for the future, um, the Lord brought that verse from Ecclesiastes 10.1 uh, back to my mind. And I'm going to share the verse with you, and then I want to just, I, I just prayed. I'm just kind of processing what I did to, to get to this point of the podcast. I, I just want to share with you what the Lord shared with me about what, what, what can kill the anointing in your life. Um, and so I'm calling this podcast Six Flies That Spoil the Oil and the oil representing the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine. And you'll understand what I'm talking about, the six flies, um, because I'm going to give you six things that I believe can kill the anointing and will kill the anointing in your life. And so if you are in any way proactively engaged in the kingdom, if you're seeking to be something other than a status quo average lukewarm church member, if you're pressing in for the power of God, for the glory of God, to advance the kingdom of God, if you're wanting to express and teach and lead in the word of God, 
if you have any role that you said yes to in the kingdom, let me just go ahead and remind you of something. You can't do what God has called you to do without an anointing. You can't. God will never give you an assignment that you can do apart from the anointing. Now, you can do it poorly, but you can't do it the way God wants you to do it apart from the anointing because the anointing is the produce of you abiding in Jesus. And God will never give you a ministry that he says, oh, you don't need me for that. Just go and do it. And so the anointing is to be um, presumed, only in the sense of presumed that you need the anointing. The actuality of the anointing should never be presumed. That's the death knell of so many churches and ministries is they presume they have the anointing. Remember Samson in the book of Judges where he had had his hair cut off and he got up to fight and he, he did not know that the strength of the Lord had departed from him because they'd cut his hair. And of course, you know, he became a prisoner and he died because he lost his anointing and he didn't know it. He didn't know that he no longer had the anointing. And so in my life, in your life, uh, let me read this verse that I think applies to our lives from Ecclesiastes 10.1 in Solomon's writing. And he says, it's kind of gross, but just listen, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So also a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Let me read that again because some of you were uh, distracted. So dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So also a little folly, a little foolishness outweighs wisdom and honor. So just so you understand what Solomon's observing is the creation of fragrant oils in his day. Of course, he was a very wealthy king. He would have had great exposure to perfumed oils and anointments and uh, perfumes. And so that would have been normal for him. And uh, back in their day, it didn't really come in like a little spray bottle in a mist. It would have been most often an, a perfumed oil that would have been applied by hand or by some other instrument, but it was uh, made by apothecaries or perfumers. They would literally uh, put a, a certain t type of oil in a dish, and then they would add fragrant substances to that oil so that it, it smelled good. And so anybody that was wearing this oil, it would be very evident that they were carrying a fragrance. And I believe that that can be applied as a picture of the anointing. Um, it's when God's touch is on us, a special touch, a special oil put together, and we carry the fragrance of Jesus. We carry power. We carry consecration. We carry permission from God to perform the assignments that he's given us. And so the anointing is a non-negotiable for those of us that are uh, seeking to live our lives out intentionally. The anointing is more important than your gifting. They don't have to be in competition with each other. But if you can only have gifting or anointing, I'd rather have anointing. Because gifting is housed in us. Anointing is housed in God. And now, we should have both for what we're called to do. But I'm just telling you, sometimes the gifting's not there, but the anointing can be. Uh, the anointing is more important than experience. It's more important than education. The anointing is more important than a platform. The anointing is more important than um, man's applause and man's approval. Matter of fact, if you walk under the anointing, you're going to lose a lot of people's approval and you will hear a diminishing of applause sometimes when you're operating under the anointing because um, you will be challenging the status quo. And so it's a, it's a great idea to think about, okay, man, I'm, I'm walking in the anointing. I'm walking in the fragrance of Christ. I'm walking in the, the special um, consecration and set-apartness 
that God has for me, and I'm carrying the fragrance of kingdom on my life, just like in Solomon's day, the perfumer's ointment was made with fragrance. But Solomon makes a point. He says, yeah, but one of the worst things that can happen to that anointing oil, that perfumed fragrant oil, is for flies to get in it and die. So literally, I mean, this is literally what he's picturing. He's picturing, um, you know, flies being attracted to that anointing, that oil sitting in a dish. And they get in there and it's goopy and it's syrupy and it's thick and their little bodies can't get out. So the flies jump in the anointing and then they die there. And, you know, we're talking in ancient times, you, you let some perfumers oil sit out uncovered for a day, you could have 15, 20 flies dead in there. And then if you don't notice for a few days, their little nasty carcasses ruin the fragrance of the anointing oil that was supposed to be beautiful. That was supposed to be, um, you know, aromatic. And he says that he says, dead flies make the ointment, the oil stink. And then he says this, cause it's an illustration. He says, it's the same way that a little foolishness, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So wisdom and honor are represented by that fragrant oil of anointing, but a little foolishness, a little fly gets in there and it makes the whole thing stink. So let me give you six things. I I really want to talk about six flies that Holy Spirit brought to mind for me, and especially thinking today of young people that are just getting starting out, some of you are figuring out what kingdom life's about, you're figuring out what maybe young married life's about, you're figuring out what ministry is about, you're, you're seeing the difference in your generation and my generation, and you're wondering why your leaders might act in a certain way. And listen, I love you guys, especially you know if you're young and you're listening, I love you. But I want to tell you, um, there's some, an inherent set, set of dangers that come to us when we're young when we're looking at people that are ministering that are older than us. And one of these is my first fly in the ointment. Um, it could be this issue of envy, jealousy, territorialism, and a desire for self-advancement. Here's the first fly, envy, jealousy, territorialism, or a desire for self-advancement. Um, that'll kill your anointing. It will absolutely kill your anointing. I remember being a young 25-year-old, saved about a year, and called to preach, you know, four months after I was born again. I remember sitting on the front row of our church and watching my pastor and being very frustrated with him because I didn't think he did it the way he should do it. You know, in my one year of salvation, I'm, I'm judging the technique and the skill of a man who had been, you know, doing it longer than I'd been alive. And um, I found myself feeling like if he'd get out of the way, I could make something happen here at this church. And I didn't see it at the time. I saw it later, but I was, um, I, it was less envy and jealousy and more pride. Um, and then all of these things work together. It's the first fly in the ointment. If you, if you are envious of another person that's gotten elevated and you're not elevated yet, you're going to lose your anointing. If you're jealous because you're both anointed, you're both elevated, but somebody else's ministry is producing more fruit, that's jealousy. Um, and you, you're about to lose your anointing. Territorialism, meaning if you're threatened, if somebody else shows up that might have the gift of God on them, the hand of God on them, but you are afraid that if they show up in your arena, that they might be more important to whatever that work is, that's territorialism. And that'll kill the anointing in a heartbeat because none of that territory is actually yours. 
doesn't matter if you have a stewardship of that territory. It's still not yours. It belongs to the Lord. And the Lord reserves the right to move somebody in. And if he wants to, he can move you out. But if you are territorial and you fight for yourself and you protect your own domain at the expense of others, um, you're going to lose your anointing because it's all self-advancement. So that's the first one. That's the first fly that kills the anointing. So I ask all of you, how are you doing? You're not operating in envy or jealousy or territorialism, are you? You're not trying to make a name for yourself, are you? You're not trying to compare and compete and be known as so-and-so who is super uber gifted in this and create a name for yourself or a ministry for yourself. Because that's a great way to kill the anointing because that's a fly in the ointment. Uh, the, the anointing is supposed to glorify God, not you. And so we have to self-deny. We actually have to abase ourselves. We have to deny ourselves. We have to esteem others better than ourselves. We have to live for the promotion of others. We have to decrease so Jesus increases. And at times, you, you race to the back of the line. In the way of the world, even in churches today, there's a lot of people racing to the front of the line and climbing all over each other. And God says, oh, I can't put oil on that. That's not something I'll anoint. We'll wait till they die to themselves a little bit, and then I'll come back with the oil. But right now, they've got that, they got that first fly in the ointment. Here's the second one, um, second fly. I'm gonna give you six of them. Second one is irreverence, irreverence, and a lack of sanctification. Um, it just means that um, y- you aren't really connected to the holiness of God. You you aren't honoring the presence of the Lord. You're not treasuring what it means for you and I to even have an anointing, to have an opportunity to serve God, to have any kind of platform. And therefore, once we've secured our spot, we're comfortable, especially those of you that are in public or platform ministry, whether a worship leader or a teacher or a preacher or a facilitator of a house church or a small group, um, be very careful not to get too casual with the holy presence of God. That's irreverence, and it'll kill the anointing. It's a stinky fly in the oil. (laughs) Um, A lack of sanctification in private. Um, It's easy to look super spiritual when everybody's watching, but what's going on when nobody's watching? Um, That will kill your anointing. By the way, um, I don't think you ought to be sanctified and holy because it protects the anointing. It does protect the anointing, but the reason why we live in uh, sanctification and holiness is because Jesus is worthy and Jesus is holy. And Jesus commanded, be ye holy as I am holy. That's what God says. And so an irreverence is that you become casual with the things of God. It becomes super cool. Um, I know some young people that attend a very well-known young adult Bible study in Metro Atlanta. And the pastor, I'm I'm just going to, I'm not going to mention the name of the ministry or anything, but he's a young pastor. His goal is to be super cool and connect with young adults. And he does so by using suggestive speech, innuendo. He literally curses from the pulpit. I mean, it would be like PG cursing, but it's cursing from the, from the pulpit, from where he's teaching and preaching. And he talks about getting drunk, talks about hanging out in casinos. I mean, this is supposedly the guy who's leading these young people in the kingdom. That's irreverent. And there's zero anointing on it. Is he gifted? Yeah. Is he good looking? That's what they say. Is he um, charismatic in the sense of got a great personality? From what I understand, he does. And is, is there a big crowd? Yep. Really, really big crowd probably bigger than the church that I pastor. And this is just a young adult gathering. Um, but there's no anointing. You say, well, Jeff, have you been? No, I haven't been. Well, how do you know there's no anointing? 
Well, because there can't be. Because God doesn't pour his oil out on things that are um, contradictory to his nature and contradictory to his word. And so forgive me if that sounds super religious to you guys, but I'm just going by what the, by what the word of the Lord says. Do you remember Uzzah in the Old Testament? Uzzah was transporting the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And when the, the cart shook and the oxen stumbled and it looked like the uh, Ark was going to fall out of that cart they were in, he put his hand on it and, and he died. God struck him dead. And the picture is, is that you don't put your hands on the holy things of God in the sense of being casual with it. And so, guys, I want to say this. If you're not operating according to the heart of God, then you're operating in eventual irreverence. Don't get casual the things of God. Cool is not consecrated. Now, you, you can be relatable and you can be relevant, but when you try to be cool, you step out of the anointing because your, your focus is no longer on God. Your focus is on the approval of people. And so if your intention, some people can't help it. They're just cool. I'm not one of those guys. I, I, I would have to try to be cool and I would fail. Um, but some people are cool and, you know, they can just kind of vibe a little bit, but most of us are not going to be able to maintain a, a testimony of being really super cool and consecrated at the same time. Uh, Jesus said to whom much is given, much is required. The book of James says, don't many of you desire to be teachers because ours is the stricter judgment, meaning we're held to a higher standard. And so if you are really seeking to advance the, the kingdom, and especially if you have a platform ministry, irreverence and lack of sanctification, that lack of sanctification is important because if your private life is not the same as your public persona, then there's a lack of sanctification there. Um, can I just go ahead and say this? I'm grieved at the amount of Christians that, you know, are cursing, like, like cussing, <laughs> like using F-bombs. And, and cursing. I hear that regularly. And it's just so amazing to me that people think that the Lord's okay with that, especially when there are New Testament prohibitions, like not Old Testament, New Testament. Let no filthy communication proceed out of your mouth. <laughs> and let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And yet Christians are now cursing and they have a lack of sanctification and there can't be any oil. The Bible says, can blessing and cursing proceed from the same mouth? And then he says, I think not, my brother. That's what James says. And so, guys, this lack of sanctification and this irreverence is also a fly in the ointment. Let me give you a third one. The love of immediate reward, typically from man, from people. The love of immediate reward from man. Um, the Pharisees, the very religious, well-respected people of Jesus's day, they would pray beautiful prayers on the stage or, excuse me, on the street corner, and they would garner the, the approval of the people. How eloquent, how spiritual, how deeply this person must be with God. Listen to those prayers. And then at other times, these same religious folks would uh, be well-known for what they gave in their offerings, and they did it for the reward of, of people's approval and applause. And Jesus actually observed this and said, hey, disciples, come here for a second. Do you see how they pray really long and they wear their, their religious garments and they do it for admiration of man? And do you see when they, when they give their offerings, they make sure everybody knows how much they're giving? Jesus says, hey, let me tell you something. They just got the only reward they're going to get because there's nothing for them in heaven. There's nothing laid up. Because they're doing it for the approval of people. They're doing it to be admired by people. They're doing it to gain the approval of somebody. Uh, the younger you are, the more you might be trying to do the right thing in order to gain the approval of spiritual fathers and mothers or pastors or leaders or your own parents. 
um, listen, do the right thing, but let your motivation be that you are doing it for the glory of the Lord. And that means you're willing to wait on his reward. You're not supposed to get your reward down here. Most of your reward, if you're actually living the Christian life well, most, the vast majority of your reward will be deferred until you receive that reward from Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. If you're getting most of your reward down here, it means less is going to be awaiting you in heaven. And so people's applause, people's approval, people's likes, people's, uh, you know, you know, affirmation of who you are. If you're living for that and you love that, you know, you, you just crave that approval, it's going to kill your anointing. We do what we do for the glory of God. We do what we do because we are approved by God. We're already accepted. We're already complete. We are already loved. And so the more you're doing it so people will think a certain thing of you, that kills the anointing. That's the third fly in the anointing. That's the third fly that spoils the oil. So guys, think about that. Why do you do what you do? What if nobody applauded you? What if nobody said thank you? What if nobody thought it was awesome? What if nobody said your name? What if you never got mentioned, but you knew you were doing your assignment? Well, will you continue to do it? Because if you do in that context of nobody noticing, you're going to have an anointing on it. You will have an anointing. You know, John the Baptist had such a great anointing that it cost him his freedom and eventually his life. That's right. His anointing met with initial approval, but when the crowd started following Jesus and John's crowd diminished, John kept doing what John was supposed to do, and eventually he lands in Herod's prison, and eventually Herod takes his head off. So anointing doesn't mean everybody's going to love you perpetually. And if God can't trust you with a season where you don't have your own personal rah-rah corner or amen corner, then you are in danger of having that fly in the ointment. Here's the fourth one, lack of yieldedness to the Holy Spirit's leadership. Um, that means in the moment. Uh, I can give you this just from a context of being on a platform and preaching. Um, sometimes you go up with a plan. I always do. I'm 99.9% of the time I have a plan. I think I know what I'm going to say. I've prayed, I've studied, I've prepared, I've scoped it out, I'm ready to go. And then sometimes I'll step up on the platform and, and sense and discern in the moment that the Holy Spirit has a different agenda for that moment that he did not forewarn me about. And I'm thinking to myself in those moments, actually I've been a battle in the past. It's, wait a minute, I've, I've prepared all this. I've got the word, I've got the message, I've got this that I've poured into. I want to, I want to share what I've prepared. And if you're operating under the anointing, there are going to be some times where the Holy Spirit, Spirit calls inaudible. It means you get up to the line of scrimmage and the Holy Spirit says, um, I see what's going on in the room and I'm going to call you to do something different. And if you're more committed to your plan all of you, you know, type A and you guys that are planners and thinkers, you need to hear this. Spontaneity is sometimes exactly what the Holy Spirit wants. Spontaneity is sometimes calls you off of your mark. Now, that's not an excuse to be lazy and unprepared. You better prepare like it depends on you. Musicians and singers and platform ministers uh, prepare like everything depends on you, but be ready to move in a different directional flow if the Holy Spirit ordains that to happen. And a lack of yieldedness to the Holy Spirit will Put a fly in the oil. It will spoil the oil, especially if you develop a mindset like that in ministry. There's great ministries that end up tanking because nobody wants to listen to the Holy Spirit, and they're so pre-programmed. And what's so sad, if I can risk a moment of critique, most church members won't notice as long as the performance is good, as long as it comes off looking Instagram-worthy or YouTube-worthy, most people won't notice that there's no anointing. You know, talent 
and you know super cool sets and everything and lights and you know fog machines and beautiful audio and powerful video that there's nothing really wrong with that stuff but the problem is is that it it is often substituted for anointing um and if if people go to churches and that's all they're getting they start thinking that's what christianity is and then they go to a place where the anointing hits and they're like oh this is completely different than what i'm used to i say it all the time i would rather take a humble or not necessarily overly skilled singer or musician but who has been in the presence of the lord i would rather that woman or that man be the one leading worship than a super slick gets every note dynamic you know mtv worthy kind of performance but no anointing give me the girl or the guy with a guitar and a mediocre voice who has the anointing oil of god on them um who knows how to flow with the holy spirit and then um let me give you this this um this uh, fifth one am i on five yeah i think i'm on five um no, I may be on six. Okay, so let me give you this last one. Um, it's a little bit similar to what I talked about earlier, but I'm going to call it man-pleasing. So what kills the anointing is when you know that God's given you an assignment. And maybe that assignment is really difficult. Maybe that assignment is going to um, no longer be able to run parallel to um, your leaders. Uh, maybe... Your parents, honor and obey your parents while they're over you. You have to. You have to honor them your whole life. But you got to obey them when they're the authority. But sometimes um, you come to a place where your, your faith takes you in a different direction than your parents within the context of Christianity. Um, sometimes it's those that spiritually nurtured you in younger years, former youth pastors, former pastors, what your church believes. You get to a point where the Holy Spirit starts working in you privately and you start saying, yeah, this is not where I fit anymore. This is not what I hear the Lord saying. It doesn't necessarily have to be theological error, um, but that's part of it. That'll be my sixth one, actually. But it's, oh, no, if I make this commitment of this, uh, this commitment that leads me in a different direction, I'm going to lose the approval of those whose approval has been important to me. So it's man-pleasing. What will my pastor say? What will my leader say? What will my parents say? What will um, my denomination say? What will my fellow Christians and other churches like mine say if I say I'm going to do what the Lord has called me to do? There's a lot of young people who receive a call to be on the mission field and they won't do it because they don't want to disappoint their parents. It's a tough place to be. I don't envy that at all, but... Uh, you got to ask yourself, shall we please God or shall we please man? I remember when I was dealing with coming out of the closet with my beliefs in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I was a fundamentalist Baptist. And man, I wrestled with that for a long time, even to the point where finally when God got me to come out of the closet with my, my beliefs and my practices, he did so by saying, hey, you're actually operating in the fear of man. I'm telling you, step out and go public with this thing. Because I had negotiated for years saying, well, Lord, I don't want to split the church and I want to ease people into it. And it took years. And God finally just said, hey, you think you're being prudent, but you're actually being cowardly. Ouch. So I came to a place where I felt like if I didn't go public with it, I was going to lose my own personal integrity before God and the anointing that is attached to it. So if you're a man pleaser, if you got to have everybody liking you, oh, man, that's a fly in the ointment. you got to kill that thing. 
then the last one is this, and I'll finish up. The sixth fly in the ointment is a departure from the word of God. Yep, you heard me right. Oh yeah, I'm big on truth. So when your ministry, your direction, your pursuits, your passion are no longer in alignment with the written word of God, God cannot anoint that. God can't. And so when I see people starting to depart from the word of God and literally their practices, their beliefs, their uh, philosophies, their ministries are no longer anchored in the written word of God, they're opposing truth. And so they're operating in their own wisdom. They're operating on their own understanding. They're operating under a philosophy that God did not source. And so when that happens, God will give grace because he'll convict you and he'll bring you back and he'll convict you over and over again. But if you harden your heart and you get to the place where you're just saying, no, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to practice. I don't care what the Bible thumpers say. I don't care what the word says. And then more often than not, that's that heart gets hardened. You say, no, this is something I want to do because it helps me in ministry or it helps me in my kingdom walk. I'm going to do this. It doesn't matter to me that the Bible doesn't support it. Watch your anointing fade. You will have nothing to lean on except your gifting, your determination, whatever platform you've built for yourself, and you will have to keep it with all of your might because God's going to start resisting it. So there'll be a renaissance of, of the Word of God, a renaissance of the loyalty to the Word of God. That's going to be happening at the, in this season towards as we move towards the end of the age. Um, that's what I love about Gen Zers and young millennials is they, they, they really are. There's a renaissance. They're saying, well, what does the Word say? What does the Word say? And so you've got them exploring, you know, the doctrines of grace, which, you know, and I come from a charismatic camp now and the doctrines of grace and talking specifically the sovereignty of God, predestination, election, the the, um, endurance of the church, the endurance of the saints, uh, total depravity. Um, Man, young, young millennials and, and Gen Zers are saying, hey, wait a minute, this is what the Bible is saying. And a lot of older Gen X charismatic leaders are saying, well, let's don't go down that road. And they're saying, well, wait a minute, what does the Bible say? And so you've got this conflict. And so I love that the fact that the upcoming generation is really hungry for the word, but you guys got to remain teachable and you got to also remain patient because reformation, we got a bunch of reformers in the Gen Z. You, you guys are going to reform the church. I think God's going to use your generation for a massive reformation of the church. But reformation is not for sissies. And anybody can protest. Reformation is not protest. Protesters say what they got to say and they walk away. Reformation, they say what they got to say and they stick in until the change happens. So, hey, listen, uh, my time is already gone today. That went by really quick. Six flies that spoil the oil. I hope that you were edified and you were helped by it. Always remember, you can go by Transforming Truth. Click on the links there. There's all sorts of resources there. You can go to Transforming Truth's YouTube channel. A lot of stuff that never makes the podcast is on our YouTube channel. And uh, just search Jeff Lyle YouTube or Transforming Truth YouTube. And uh, avail yourself of those resources. Until next time, I hope that uh, you will cultivate the oil and protect it with all your might. Walk in the anointing. Hallelujah. And don't let any flies spoil your oil. We'll see you next time. Have you gotten a copy of Jeff's book? His autobiography, titled Figuring It Out As I Go, shares Jeff's journey from being abandoned at childhood to journeying through the maze of addiction as a teen and young adult, into his supernatural deliverance at the age of 24, and then into the fascinating pilgrimage into the depths of the Holy Spirit. Order your copy today at jefflyle.com or anywhere online where you buy books. You can also hear Jeff narrate the book by ordering an audio copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at audible.com.